This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We are talking about Acts 11 today, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. Um, This is a really... You know, I'm always reading, like, the book of Acts in preparation for this story series, and thinking through what's to come and the stories that are coming. And I'm always trying to map out where I think each story is going to be when I tell it. Yeah. Uh, this one went in a direction I had no idea. Like, this is not the direction I thought I was going to take this mm. in the beginning. Um, it's actually surprising. Well, it just... I couldn't read it any other way when I sat down to actually like storyboard it out mm-hmm. because well, I just I'm really concerned about the way the church has become the primary institution, not even one of them but the primary institution that embodies an us versus them mentality and culture. Um, Why the? Name one that does it worse than us. I don't want to say worse, but our political system is built on the us versus them. Uh, Well, not exactly, because there is a way to be in our political system that sits outside of us versus them. The us versus them is bipartisanship. Sure. The us versus them is red versus blue, Democrat versus Republican. Right. What do you do with the roughly 13 million people that vote third party every year? Sure. But what it's, I'm trying to communicate is that... Um, until, and you and I have had this conversation off air multiple times, until we see third parties on the debate stage, we have a, like, dual party system. Oh, we will, we have a two-party system. There's no question like, about that. There, There is no other way to communicate that except in us versus them. Well, except that those parties are even divided amongst themselves. That's true. But even among... Christians, so, there is... Yeah, but the difference is most of the Christians that want to be participating in an us-versus-them mentality, they're not bothered by the way in which Christians are divided. If you're willing to say that Jesus is the only way, you're probably pretty kosher for most Christians that mm. want to do this. That's fair. Um, just in a Democratic Party alone, golly, they can't get anything done in the Senate because... They can't get even all their own party votes. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Totally thought this, this is was going to be easier. Yeah, this is not really an us versus them no, conversation when fair. us is against us too. That's fair. Um, in the church, the us versus them is us the church and anybody else that's not the church. It's very much so a clean, unclean kind of dichotomy. That's true. Um. And to the tune of mutual exclusivity. Us, them. And that's 
arm's length, and if one of them wants to become one of us, there better be some conformity. I don't have to change. I'm right. I'm mm. clean. It's you, the unclean, the them, the other, that must conform, that must change, that must begin to look like me in order to infiltrate the community. Fair enough. That's very much so why the church is the institution of exclusivity in us versus them. Um, because it's just how we've always done it. And honestly, it's partly the Bible's fault. That's not, that's not shade against the Bible, but what I'm saying to you is a piss-poor reading of the Bible will make you have an us-versus-them mentality. It's true. That's definitely the mentality of most of the Old Testament. Yep. Um, now, it's not to say that it was totally, because you did have God-fears, you did have Gentile inclusion, you did have... <laughs> you had those things, but they were all like based on the conformity. The the actual like cleansing rituals and things that you had to go through. Sorry, friends. I'll try to cut out as much of that in editing. I'm sure that was gross. Allergies. I've been gnarly for me the last like week. Yes, you are correct. So let's talk about this story. So Peter's just had this crazy interaction with Cornelius and these Gentile believers that are in his house. And now he goes back to Jerusalem where the believers, the quote-unquote circumcised believers, so how should you make that up? Who are these people? They are Jews. They are Jews that are believers in the message of Jesus. Yes. So what does that mean about the way they think about Gentiles? Uh, the them, the them, they're the other, they, I can't eat that. I've never put anything unclean in my, in my body. Yep. Can't eat with Gentiles. They're unclean, right? No, none of that. Very ew, yuck, gross. No arm's length. Can't do it. Um, so if we're going to have this conversation, I want to be very blunt and honest about this conversation. I want to be kind, but I don't want to hold punches. Fair enough. If the church, the modern church today, is the circumcised believers in Jerusalem and the Gentiles are the them, the people we're told, uh, yuck, no, unclean. Yeah. Give me who, our modern recreation of this story. Who, who, who is who, this who in is our landscape? Them? So many people. Well, hang on. However, First of all, who's the who's the circumcised believers? The you church. Gotta, no, but you got to name one part of the because the church is going to have the different elements of the church are going to have a different them. Fair enough. We are a part of the church, and we have a them. And I'm going to be very honest about my own them. Yes. So we share a them. Name, correct. So name name the circumcised believers that you're talking about in this moment. In, in this moment, in this conversation, in this context of yep, yep. Wellhouse Church. Yeah, right now. Who? Oh, no, no. Oh, so you want to put the circumcised believers as us. If I think that's, I thought that's where you were leading. Nope. I'm going to have that conversation. That's not the conversation I want to have now. I'm talking about a very macro level. Okay. The main voice of the church, who is it? The main voice of the church would be Catholicism, I would say. Uh, fair. The main voice... Okay of mainstream media and Western 
church. White American evangelicalism. There you go. Or just white evangelicalism. Christian nationalism, the American element of it, definitely has a place in mainstream media. It is appalling. Yes, it's a very big problem in America, but that's not really like a Western Christian problem as much as it's an American Christian problem. But yes, white evangelicalism, fundamentalist conservatives, yes. the like. Okay. Who's their other? Who's the them? Who's the Gentile? Who's the unclean? LGBTQ. Oh, is it the only one? Oh, God, no. But there are so many others. So but who else? Women. Um, in a way. Uh, kind of. Yeah, adjacently. That, that, seen, that might be a little bit of a reach, but I definitely see where you're going. There are two, two that I want you to point out. Uh, liberals in any way. Mm. Um, I stand firm in that. Once again... More an American Christian nationalism thing, not Fair a enough. Western Christian thing. Fair enough. Um, uh, African-Americans? Yeah, black people. Uh, black people. Another big one. One more big one. Pedophiles. We've uh, had this conversation. Nope. You're not going there? Nope. They're fringe. They they should probably be in, be in the conversation, but they're not big enough to monopolize this stage. Middle Eastern men. Oh, yes. White yes. evangelicalism is very, very prejudiced against Middle Eastern men. Why? Oh, because our president, the president who grew up in the Methodist church, a second generation from a presidential family from Texas, golly, launched an all-out war against the Middle East. And did it in the name of God. So yeah, Middle Eastern men are also on that shit list. Yeah, fair um, enough. Fair enough. So now I want you to take this political landscape and I want you to read this story with me. And I'm going to do a creative retelling. I'm going to substitute words in this story to help you tell it or help us tell it in a way that mirrors the modern context. Okay. Now, the church and the believers who were in America heard that the others had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to the bedrock of the church, the faithful believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men? Why did you go to others and eat with them? Why would you do something like this that makes you unclean? Have you not read this book? Don't you know what it says? Great. Everybody tracking? Understand how the story's unfolding? How I would love to read that. Why did you go to the gay clubs and eat with them? <laughs> Why'd you go have a beer at that gay bar? Yeah. That's a great way to read that. Yeah. Why'd yeah. you go do that? And this is what Peter says. Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa and I was praying and in a trance, I saw a vision there was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. 
But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. So the equivalent of this conversation in a modern context is I saw a sheet coming down of all the sins that I think make someone unclean. Mm. And I heard a voice say, hey, go partake. And I responded, no, Lord, I've never sinned. I've never sinned. I can't do that. Verse 8, but I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I've never sinned. I can't do that now. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. What God has said is clean, you must not call unclean, profane. Come back to this. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. Hmm. <laughs> them and us. And the Spirit told me not to make a distinction between them and and us. Hmm. Clayton, remember we've had conversations before about things being universal, contextual, mm -hmm. or cultural? Mm -hmm. That is a universal state. You think so? Absolutely. Mm. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it is not contextual to any sort of conversation um, related to specifically, or that statement is not specific to the, no, it is specific to the Jews and the Gentiles, but its implications are larger of the them and us. This can be applied to any them and us. You want to take over? I mean, you got, no, you've got, you're, doing, you got, you're doing good, bro. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I think th this is a very contextualized statement. Yes. The spirit in this moment was absolutely talking to Peter about ethnically non-Jewish people. Mm -hmm. I do not want to miss that. Yes. However, you said it beautifully. The implications of this are much larger because this book tells of a beautiful story that I think can be summarized in a very cliche verse. Clayton, would you like to quote to me the verse that every person that grows up in Sunday school in small town Baptist church memorizes from the Gospel of John? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who shall ever believe in him 
Come on. Shall not perish, but live at, or but have everlasting life. Great. So Clayton, I have two questions. Uh, what does the word world mean? For God so loved the world. The everything. <laughs> mm. Just like the created existence. Mm-hmm. Mm. You also may have not known this because maybe you haven't studied the Gospel of John or you've forgotten this and probably have heard it, but the word world in the Gospel of John is a metaphor for sin. Mm. The things of the world are the things against the kingdom of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who? Ever. Oh, what does that mean? Anyone. Oh, so the implications are bigger mm-hmm. than just Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. Dope. Got it. Thanks for that. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. This is, that's big claims. Because now salvation is coming to the Gentile, but from the same God of the Jews. Mm. Notice, do you remember what the message was, Clayton? Let's go back. We're going to go back to the end of chapter 30 chapter 10 um, because I don't want you to miss the message because that's the whole point Cornelius Ah. and his house are going to be saved by this message Mm -hmm. and so we can't miss the message we now know that it's going to be a message of salvation Mm -hmm. but we can't miss what that message was that Peter gave him so here's what it was I truly understand that God shows no partiality yep oh Mm. yep oh Ooh, read your Bible better, people. It's a good story. It's good stuff. But the the problem is here is that when you bring to the us, whoever the us is, that God shows no partiality. Oh, well, we believe that. Right? That's That's what you get. Oh, we know that. We love all people. But do you <laughs> do no. you actually believe that God shows no partiality? Because your actions show otherwise. Yeah, and I would say that about Wellhouse Church. I would say that about myself. Um, yeah. Because as much as I like to say, I don't believe that God shows partiality, and I don't think we should either. No. Um, I absolutely do. Yeah. And I know exactly who my them is. Yep. My them are the people that have been oppressors for the last 200 years. Mm-hmm. White evangelical conservatives. Yep. Um, it's, it's a problem for me, friends, that the Southern Baptist Convention was started in 1845 for the sole purpose that they wanted to own slaves and the Northern Baptists didn't. And somehow that denomination not only continues to exist, but is the most powerful denomination in the world. And it's still Clayton Ware. It still has no black ministers in positions of power. Mm -hmm. 
that same denomination today had a report released on sexual abuse investigations, privately hired, over 700 accusations swept under the rug, a 20-year database of them tracking ministers who were sexual predators and just continued to serve in new congregations after they were fired for their abuses. That denomination, yeah, they're my them. Mm -hmm. I know. And I like I said, I want it, if I'm gonna be candid and I'm gonna speak against it, I'm gonna speak against my own problems. Mm -hmm. I do believe God shows no partiality. I damn sure do. Yeah. That is not okay. That is injustice, and to do it in the name of Jesus is heresy. That's how I feel. Yeah. So where do you draw the line though? See, th this Harming is, the image of God. No, 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 no. In what instance does having a them, when does it become righteous anger or from righteous ang anger to having a them? Oh, I think you can, we all have a them. If we're doing our story right, the yeah. them is the experience of death. Right, but having a them is wrong. In some way, shape, or form, right? Having God shows no partiality. We should not think of them as any different than us. The difference right? is you've embodied their sin in the person by doing it that way. The problem that we hate is the experience of death, the experience of oppression, the experiences of injustice, right. of which they continue to perpetuate in the name of Jesus, which is my big problem. Um, it feels borderline gaslighting, but... <laughs> So that's the problem. The, for me, the marker there is, and this is just me personally, it's when you harm the image of God. When right. the human being is the one that has to suffer. I agree. I'm okay with it being a them. Whoever is harming that image, I'm okay with them being a them. And if I'm wrong, Jesus is going to have to forgive me for it. It'll be okay. But when Jesus goes and flips tables. Yeah. I'm not Jesus, though. But the general idea of speaking out and mm -hmm. against injustice, mm -hmm. naturally you have to have a them to do that. Correct. But that's also, I'm not apologizing for necessarily having no, no, that. No, I understand. But I'm also not going to just ignore and act, pretend like I have a blind spot as right. if I don't already know that I have that. Agreed. And I think that's very valid and I'm, I love that you did that. And I also have a them. And mine it's the is same it's them. the same yeah. them, um, maybe a little bit wider of just white American evangelicals and just the problems that it creates. Um, that's my them. And generally speaking, oppressors. However, this text leads us to believe that we should not have an us versus them. But we see in Jesus and also some from Peter about like speaking out against injustice. And to do that, you have to have a them. Yeah, the difference is you can't think that the them is outside of experiences of grace. Oh, for sure. Okay. That's the difference. The They, Jews, did not think Gentiles could be saved. Not at all. They were kind of around, and maybe there'd be some kind of special grace for them, but this is our covenant. God made this covenant with Abraham, and we're the people that God chose. We're the covenant people. We're the chosen people. We're the one that were enslaved 
two different times over this garbage. This is us. You don't get to infringe on us. Yeah. You can't have grace. Mm -hmm. There's no salvation for you. Fair point. That's the problem with their idea of the them. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily wrong to have an us versus them in a way to have a them to speak against injustice. It's wrong to have an us versus them and that this them is outside of the experiences of grace. Mm -hmm. It's that the, the human the image of God is not capable of being redeemed. It's that in the words of Acts eleven eighteen, that God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Your them cannot be excluded from the experiences of grace and salvation. Your them can't be something other than the church. All of us, all humans, made in the image and likeness of God, have been corrupted by sin in the exact same ways. The experiences of death and sin are rampant in this corrupt world. And there's a repentance that leads to life for any of us, no matter if I think you're part of us or I think you're part of them. Mm. 